What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Good Wolf Project. I'm your host, Jerry Scarlato, and today's conversation is with Nick Hutchison. Nick is the founder and podcast host of Book Thinkers. It's also the company that he has in which he helps authors find their audience, if you will. In this conversation, we not only talk about books, which, of course, as you can see around me, are one of my favorite subjects, but we also talk about why, if Nick weren't making a living selling books, not selling books, but promoting books, he would be making a living promoting traveling and how he's had many life experiences traveling and how that is one way that we can grow as human beings by getting outside of our comfort zone and getting into travel and into areas that don't really make us comfortable or areas that we've never been before and how we can learn who we are and we can grow as a human being by getting into traveling around. So enjoy this conversation with Nick Hutchison. Nick, welcome to the show, brother. Great to have you here. Sounds like it is nice and chilly in Boston. What are you up to today? Oof, well, we're recording this at the tail end of an amazing day. And it was amazing because I had a pretty open schedule for the first time in what felt like months. So I went to a local coffee shop and I got a bunch of reading done. And I also got a bunch of kind of admin CRM style tasks done. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling energized. You know, I kind of love those kind of days because you don't feel any pressure to like do things. Yeah. Right. But you can do more things sometimes whenever you don't feel that pressure. Right. Like you go to the coffee shop, you just sit back, you kind of like you just sit there and plug away. And it's almost like because your mind's free and it's not thinking about the next thing you have to do or whatever, you can just like just go with it. So that's, I totally resonate with that. A lot of times I actually get my best work done on weekends, like Mm -hmm. weekend mornings when I don't have anything on the calendar, I get my best work done because it's not a work day. So yeah, it feels more free. And that's so ironic because most people look forward to the weekends and not working on the weekends. And yet, dude, it's it's funny you say that because I'm literally the exact same way. Like literally on the weekends, I'm like, I can't wait till the weekend gets here when I can do stuff. Because like you said, it's like this weird thing in my head that's just like, I don't feel the pressure to have to do it. So I just sit there and do it. Like, it's just like, I'm just going to sit here and do it. And then it. I get done a lot more effectively and a lot more efficiently a lot of times. So it's funny you say that, but that's, that's too good. Have you ever read any of Stephen Pressfield's work? He's written books like the war of art, for instance. I have read the war of art, but I've not read anything else. Yeah. Well, the, the war of art talks about overcoming resistance and Stephen's been a guest on my podcast a couple of times. We've done some work with him before. And I've, I've thought about like what creates resistance. And I think that society's like standard nine to five weekday thing, plus like meetings in your calendar, I think it creates resistance. And so it makes it harder in the gaps between meetings and your free time to do the work you know you should do. But then on the weekends, there's no resistance. It like It's like it hides or whatever for a couple of days. And it just makes it easier. It's It's like... There's no resistance or barrier of entry. You could just kind of flow right into the activity. So anyway, I'll be I'll be done rambling about this subject, but it's cool that we think the same way. No, dude, it's I'm this is something that I'm totally geeky about, actually. So um another reference to a book, Deep Work by Cal Newport. A good one. Yes, another great book. I think that's another thing is like people don't have slots of time, right? to to be set aside during the week to be able to actually get into a task 
because we think we can multitask, right? One of the things I actually wanted to talk to you about was monotasking. We think we can multitask, but really all we're doing is distracting ourselves from the thing that we're trying to do. So when we are doing something and then we get a text and we go over here and we text or we get a Slack or we get a whatever, and then we come back to the thing, we think that we can just like jump right back into it, but you can't ever actually get anything done effectively. So having that chunk of time to you, usually at least 90 minutes to two hours of time where you can actually flow into something, like get into the flow of something. Cause like for me, it might take me 20 or 30 minutes to get, to get into the flow of it. You know what I'm saying? To actually feel like I'm, Oh man, I got it now. Like I'm focused, I'm zoomed in, but it might take me 30 minutes to get there. Maybe my brain's a little slow, but like, if that's Mine the too. case for a lot, right. If that's the case for a lot of people, then like, then like having that set time can be magic too, which is tough in a corporate setting. But like, I wonder how people could adjust their schedules to be able to do that. Yeah. I, th I mean, I think about these things all the time. I've read, you know, first off, I've read way too many productivity books to think that any type of multitasking is okay or tolerable. I mean, it's not, and it's never a good thing. You know, people ask me all the time about audiobooks, and Number one, 80% of the inputs to our brain are visual. So by default, you're at a disadvantage if your goal is to retain and implement information, if you're just listening to it. But what people don't realize is that unlike reading a physical paper book, which is a form of monotasking, right? Focusing on one thing for an extended period of time, everybody listens to audiobooks in the car or at the gym or while doing chores doing or busy something. work around the house. And it's like, it's really difficult to only listen to something and, and while you're focusing on something else and get, get valuable information out of it. Uh, but just like you, I try to put bigger and bigger blocks of time into my calendar that are focused on one activity because task switching or multitasking, yeah, it's hard to get into a flow state. Yeah, well, yes. And I think we've tricked ourselves into, into thinking that we can actually do it effectively because it feels like... You're going here and then going there and going back. But all you're really doing is forcing your mind to have to readjust to the thing again. And the amount of time that that might take to get you back into that thing. I don't, maybe a lot of people just do high level stuff and that's how they can multitask a little more effectively. But when you're doing a type of work that requires you to think a little more deeply, and I'm not saying that people are dumb and they don't think deeply, I'm just suggesting like maybe. I don't know, maybe there's some simpler stuff out there that you can jump around on administrative work. Certainly you can do that and you can jump back and forth on things, but there's a magic definitely to having that, to having that chunk of time. Yeah. I heard Tim Ferriss say somewhere recently that he's been experimenting with four hour blocks of time. So essentially he'll only do, maybe it was Benjamin Hardy that was referencing Tim Ferriss, but he was saying only do two things every day. So you sort of have your first four hour block, a break, and then you have your second four hour block. And it's like five days in a week, that gives you the opportunity to spend 10 four hour blocks and choose what you do wisely. You know, maybe you're only answering emails on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or something like that. Uh, you're doing your admin tasks one day a week for four hours, but it's more efficient. You get more done when you dedicate longer periods of time. So I love that. I really do. Yeah, we could literally sit here and talk about productivity and time hacks and so on and so forth. And I'm sure we'll circle back to it. But I'm curious about one thing. So in your, this is very random, but I was curious about it. On your IG profile, it says traveler 
or love tra traveler of love, I love, tra love traveling or something like that. And then it says 25 slash 195. And then it has an earth next to it. What's that mean? So there are a couple of different measurements here, but roughly speaking, there are 195 countries on this beautiful planet that we call earth. And so I've been to 25 out of the 195 so far. My goal is to visit all 195. That's so soul. yeah, I would I would love to visit every country on this planet. If I didn't work full time in the personal development book space, I would build a job for myself in the travel space because I love travel. You know, it's funny. A lot of people know me professionally as the book guy. Right. But I think that if you were to ask friends and family, especially over the last 10 years, they'd say, no, he's the travel guy. So, uh, you know, it's not a subject that gets brought up a lot on podcasts, but I love talking about travel. <laughs> so how did you get into loving travel? Is that something that you started in college? Is it something you started in high school? Is that something that your parents nudged you to do? Is that something that like you just like you just looked at things because I can. Sadly, I've only been to. Cancun, which I can't even say is another country because it's basically just America <laughs> in a different spot to an extent. But I can certainly say that I'd love to go to Egypt. I'd love to go to Greece. I'd love to go to Rome. I'd love to go to other, I'd love to go around. I don't know if I want to go to 195 countries, but I'd love to go to a number of them. But how did you want to, I don't know, you've gone to 25 countries. And I imagine that most people who get to the end of their life haven't gone to over than more than maybe two. So I don't know what nudged you to do that. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't an international traveler in high school or growing up. And I wasn't an international traveler in college. I mean, I remember my high school and college having foreign exchange opportunities or study abroad opportunities. And I remember having literally zero interest in participating in them. Now, when I graduated, and I started getting into the world of personal development books. I remember one of the first books that introduced me to this idea of travel was The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Now, Tim doesn't explicitly say, go travel the world, but he documents some of his travels. He talks about going to Buenos Aires, Argentina by himself and dancing tango and working remotely. And uh, he references a book briefly called Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. And so I decided to pick that up as well. You know, Tim says when he's traveling, there was only one book he'd carry with him. And that was Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. And so then I got Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. And that book, the subtitle is something like The Uncommon Art of Long-Term World Travel or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I read that book. And right in the beginning, Rolf Potts says something like, you know, this American idea of working 50 weeks a year and taking two weeks off and maybe once a year taking a vacation that's super expensive and not sustainable. He's like, that doesn't have to be the way that you live. You can actually travel and work remotely and it's a heck of a lot less expensive than you think it is. And so I read those two books and I just said, you know what? I'm going to start traveling. I want to go try it out. I'm in my early twenties. I have a remote job. Mm -hmm. I'm single like might as well follow in Tim's footsteps. So the first solo travel trip that I took was to Buenos Aires, Argentina. Mm. I had never been to Central or South America. I didn't speak Spanish. I didn't know anybody on the entire continent, but I booked a five-week trip 
And wow. I booked an Airbnb blindly in down, downtown Buenos Aires. And I just went and uh, I fell in love with it after that. That's too cool. So you yeah. just, you just up and decided like, I'm going on my own. And that, that was that. Yeah. I had a friend of mine named Derek who had, he did a solo travel trip to Thailand and he came back and I remember him just talking about all these amazing experiences, like meditating on the side of a mountain at this Buddhist monastery, like staring out into the lush forest. And I was just like, I want to go create my own version of that. So I remember sitting in my barbershop, looking at the flights on American Airlines. <laughs> and I remember just thinking like, oh, I found this really inexpensive pair of tickets, but it's they're five weeks apart. So I depart and then I come back five weeks later. And I was like, that's a long time. But I was like booked while yeah. I was sitting there waiting for my haircut. And, um, you know, the beautiful thing about traveling internationally, especially to a country where English is not the primary language, is that you are constantly uncomfortable. Mm. And if you travel by yourself, you don't have anybody else to lean on in those awkward moments. Like when you're at the grocery store and you can't read any of the labels and you don't understand the currency and the cashier just tells you a number. It's not like it doesn't show up on the screen. So you just have this pile of money and you can't understand what he's saying. And you just hand him the money and he takes what he needs. It's like that was all within the first couple of hours of showing up. And it was just so uncomfortable all the time. But by the end of five weeks, I was like, wow, that wasn't long enough. Mm -hmm. You know, so I just I love finding those experiences. And by the way, Cancun, I love Cancun. I've been a few times, but you're right. It doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's it's cool. It's definitely not. I I say it's America down south. It's different. I mean, clearly it's not. Yeah. But we were on a resort, and it's like, eh, does it really count? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, but it doesn't count. It is, um, yeah. And if you go a little farther south, I mean, Tulum is right there, and then a couple hours inland is Chichen Itza, which is one of the seven world wonders. So if you ever go to Cancun again take a day trip down to Chichen Itza. Mm -hmm. It's uh, some of those Aztec pyramids, Mayan okay. influence. It's really cool. That would be great. Have you been to uh, the Colosseum in Rome? Yes. Mm. Yes. That That's yeah. one that I, Rome's definitely is one where I want to go. And then the, um, shoot, I'm not going to think of the name of it. The, where is there's it? A, there's a church in Spain. Yeah, I've been to it um the, the church has been, they've been building, yes they've been building for like some ridiculous couple hundred years or something yeah yeah so that was one okay so both of those experiences uh, were amazing for different reasons so number one i'm a big fan of stoic philosophy mm. and stoicism originated in ancient greece but then kind of became more popular with people like marcus aurelius who was a philosopher king in rome and so getting to walk those streets and kind of feel the energy of Rome is so cool. I mean, mm. I just, I can't say enough about how cool that city is. And the fact that the Colosseum was built roughly 2000 years ago, years ago, blows my mind. I mean, I walked through it and I, you just think about the number of people that died like gladiators mm. and I mean, crazy experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, uh, La Sagrada Familia. So I'm a, I'm more of a fan of, uh, I'd say like landscape than I am architecture. Mm. Like it's hard to be in now something like the Colosseum, like ancient architecture, really cool. 
But La Sagrada Familia, when you walk into that church, you're like, you're like, God has to be real because this was not built by man. Like, I know it was, but it just, Mm -hmm. it takes your breath away. It's so Mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see, like, definitely landscape things are profound because you just kind of go, how did that even happen? But at the same time, like you said, architectural things are profound because it's like, how does that, how does that happen? But I I wanted to go back to the comfort that you were talking about or the discomfort, I guess you were talking about, because I think for a lot of people, they would feel discomfort just thinking about the idea of going away for five weeks by themselves, even going away for five days by themselves. I would even argue that most people feel uncomfortable by themselves for five minutes without their phone, right? So I think there's a lot of magic in and finding those instances where you can get where what's the, the saying get comfortable being uncomfortable like that's a that's an ultimate like that's going to the extreme going and being on your own for five weeks that is like by the end of that things don't feel as challenging to you like you get back here and you're like whatever like i'll go do whatever you tell me what you want to do i'll go do it it's no problem i have no qualms about it there's nothing in my head that's stopping me from doing it but uh, i'm curious how you how else you have like how did you get to the point where being comfortable booking that flight in the first place like are you just good with going out and being uncomfortable i wasn't i mean i grew up with a lot of social anxiety and a lot of insecurities like i cared way too much about what other people thought of me and i and i still sometimes fall into that trap but i started exploring these wonderful personal development and self-help and business style books in my early 20s and you read messages like life begins at the end of your comfort zone and you read about what other people have done to embrace discomfort like tim ferris going to argentina I wouldn't have come up with that idea by myself, but I saw that somebody else who was also admittedly uncomfortable and sometimes socially awkward went and did this thing. And that showed me that it was possible. It's one of the reasons I love reading iconic entrepreneurship biographies and stories and things like that, because it shows you what other human beings are capable of doing. And so I like to imagine the comfort zone. I've read this in a couple of different places, sort of like an elastic band where if you stretch it too fast, you'll break the elastic band, you'll burn out, you'll get Mm. too uncomfortable and you'll revert back to your comfort zone. Mm. But if you just kind of stretch it gradually, like over time, your comfort zone expands. And I think that when you're in the US and you're in a routine, you've got a normal nine to five, a normal gym routine, you know, same friends you're hanging out with, same bar every weekend, you're not experiencing anything new or uncomfortable. And so your comfort zone is not expanding. Mm. But the minute that you step foot off a plane in a foreign country where you don't speak the language, like you're having dozens and dozens of small, pretty safe for the most part, expansion. So let me, let me kind of paint a quick picture for everybody. And hopefully I can convince a few people listening or watching today to go solo travel somewhere. So check this out. I'm a, I land in Argentina and what I didn't realize was the airport was about, I think it was like over an hour from downtown Buenos Aires. (laughs) And I grab my bags and I'm kind of wandering out to go like, look at the taxi line or something. They don't have Uber. It's illegal. So I'm like, well, that stinks. 
So I'm wandering out and some guy just comes up and he grabs my bag. Like he just, hey, hey, I got it. I got it. Taxi, taxi. And he just grabs my bag. And now I'm following him, trying to speak to him in English. He doesn't speak English. And he's just like, I'll drive, you know, like he's saying like whatever. I just tell he's a taxi driver. He keeps saying taxi, taxi. So I'm like so awkward and so like what's happening and flustered that I just follow him and I get in the taxi and we start driving and I give him my address and he's literally looking it up on a, in a paper book on a map. Like he doesn't know where I'm going. I'm trying to show him the address. My Wi-Fi is not working. My data is not turned on. And then I'm I, eventually I get my data turned on and I'm translating like, do you accept American dollars into Spanish? And he's like, no, I don't. I'm like, well, how am I going to pay you? He doesn't accept cards. It was just so stressful trying to figure this out. So whatever, eventually I just give him a bunch of extra American dollars, which I know it was like way more than I should have paid for. And we show up to the Airbnb that I had booked and there's security out front and nobody speaks English. So I'm trying to show them that I booked an Airbnb in the building and they're like translating back to me that Airbnb is not allowed in the building and that I didn't book an Airbnb in the building. And I'm like, well, this is an issue. And then this woman comes running outside who I was trying to message to say like, I'm here, I'm here. And she was like renting her apartment, but it wasn't legally allowed and security didn't know about it. So now she's explaining that I'm a friend and stuff. And whatever, I finally get up to the room. She doesn't speak English either. I finally get up to my room and I realize like I can't drink the water here because it's, it's Different. you know, the tap water. Mm-hmm. And I'm dehydrated, I'm thirsty and I'm hungry and I'm stressed out and I'm just laying there in the apartment like I should not have booked this. I am way over my head. Like I have no idea how to go to an ATM, get cash. How much do I need? What's the, what's the, like, where do I even go for that? How do I get food? How do I get water? You know, and you're just kicking from adrenaline and you just don't even know what the next step is. But like I said, every one of those in hindsight, they're pretty safe interactions. Like I'm at an airport, then I'm with a taxi driver, then I'm checking into an Airbnb. Like all of those things done here in English would not be stressful, Mm -hmm. but it was just that language barrier that made it so much more stressful for me. And, but again, I'm, I'm constantly expanding my comfort zone. And by the end of the trip, I'm going out to bars and restaurants. I'm talking to people, I'm meeting people, you know, digital nomads, locals, like I'm partying, I'm having a great time. You know, I develop a relationship with like the local people at the grocery store, picking stuff up. It's like, it was cake. I felt like five weeks was nothing. Mm -hmm. Like I should have stayed longer. And again, I never would have gotten to that place if I didn't take that initial risk, like have a little moment of confidence. So I know that was a ton that I threw at you, but I'll I'll throw one final thing out there, which is that I read somewhere early in my 20s that your life will be more interesting if you if you pretend like a movie crew is following you around everywhere that you go and that there's an audience and they're going to turn away if your life is boring. If you're just sitting there watching TV, scrolling on social media, like they don't want to watch that. But if you live a cool life, if you go out and you experience something, you know, that audience will be bigger and that will give you life energy. And so I've always tried to think of my life through the lens of like other people are watching. So I might as well make it fun. That is so good. That is so good. I I, will, I can totally resonate with that. Not that I, again, am living a movie style life, but the idea 
I think is a good thing to remind yourself to get up and do something instead of lay around and do nothing, which is what a lot of us are too busy doing in the first place. But I like in what you're saying to the idea of change also, because I think, excuse me, a lot of people don't change because it is uncomfortable. And when people do change, they go from zero to 100, right? It's the same idea as doing too many uncomfortable things at once, the rubber band pops. So mm -hmm. when someone wants to lose 20 pounds, they start working out five days a week. They immediately change everything that they do. They quit drinking all their soft drinks. They quit drinking their favorite coffee drink. They quit having desserts. They quit going out with their friends. They stop all this stuff. Bam. And I'm going to start doing I'm, this whole new life. And then three weeks later, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And they, just, they end up going back. They end up going back and they typically end up being worse off than what they started. Now, I believe that some people start too slow at the same time when it comes to change, because when you start too slow, you don't, you don't get enough results and therefore you don't get, you don't continue to motivate yourself to move forward. You need to get results in order to want to keep going. Right. So that's a perfect analogy to change. Like you got to do enough change to make it not feel overwhelming, but at the same time to actually be able to make some progress. And I think the yes. comfort zone is the same sort of idea. Like you got to do enough that it's not like, oh my gosh, my brain's going to pop out, but not too little that it's like being uncomfortable to you is like having to walk over and pick up the remote. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the balance between those two things is where we should live life. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Peterson, who's a, a really cool guy that I recommend everybody follows, He's a modern day philosopher and, and he's written a couple of great books. You know, his first kind of major bestseller was called 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos. And it was about order, how to establish order in your life. That's kind of like one foot on solid ground. But then his next book, Beyond Order, was about why a little bit of chaos is okay sometimes. So like one foot firmly planted in your comfort zone, the other foot firmly planted or hanging wildly outside of your comfort zone. And I think like right on that border is where all the good stuff happens. That's sustainable growth, sustainable progress. That's expanding like constantly forever until you get to a point where you don't even recognize yourself. I think we should change. I think we should grow. I think we should become unrecognizable to the people around us. And it's, it's at that, it's at that line where it sustainably happens and you don't, revert back to your comfort zone because you burn out and go crazy. Yeah, I heard a, a line once that I think about often, if you can't look at yourself a year ago, and think that you're, we're just you were just the stupidest person ever, then you didn't grow enough. Yeah, I, so. I you know what I think about that in business all the time. Mm. Like when I think about the, I'll just give you an example. A couple of years ago, I remember uh, an invoice getting paid that was like a couple thousand dollars and literally like fist pumping like crazy in my mm -hmm. car, you know, and now my business has grown so much. And I look back at that and I'm like, what a goofy reaction that was. But at the time that was five times bigger than what it was years and years ago. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think about that all the time. No, that is, but that's powerful, right? Cause like each step is a new there's a new door that you open. So like your first door is like a couple thousand dollars and you're like, Oh, cool. That's a couple thousand bucks. And then the door after that, it's like, Oh, I'm going to try $5,000. Oh, cool. That was $5,000. And then the next door, it's like another. So it's like at each step, it's a new 
it's a new door. It's a new, uh, it's a new viewpoint. So you don't really, you don't really know how excited you're going to be. You, you can look back and go, man, I was excited about a $2,000 invoice. Like that's, that was silly. But at the time, you know, it was groundbreaking to you. So there's definitely some magic in enjoying those moments. Yeah, I think so too. There's a great book called The Gap and the Gain by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. And mm -hmm. that's the frame that we should look through is how far have you come versus how far can you go? Because how far can you go is infinite and intimidating and who cares about it because it's not in your present moment. But how far have you come, like comparing yourself to where you used to be, that will always provide a sense of gratitude as long as you've made progress, which all of us should be if we're reading and implementing amazing books and listening to this podcast and everything else like that. So yeah, you know, sometimes people say comparison is the thief of joy. Mm -hmm. I'm like, not if you're comparing yourself to where you were a few years ago, because that actually creates joy. At least it does for me. Well, and I think there's definitely an art to comparing to other people as well. The problem is we compare with the wrong things. We look at Facebook and we see everybody's happy Christmas pictures and we look at their new car that they just bought and their new house that they just bought. And we're comparing to the things that they have and, and, and being envious of them instead of looking at somebody who maybe is in the same profession as you, or maybe is actually your neighbor. And you look at them and you see where they are and you're like, wow, I want to be able to get to that. We just use comparison in the wrong, in a very inefficient context. We look at it and we, we're more worried about having the things that they have and being jealous of them instead of going, how did they actually get to that? And how do I get to that also? Yeah, that's, that's why I read these books. I'm so amazed at what people are able to accomplish. And I, instead of asking, or instead of stating, that's not fair, look at my life. I go, how the heck did they do that? And how can I do it too? So I don't know if everyone's caught on. Nick is the book person. What's the name of your podcast, by the way? Book thinkers, life-changing books. Uh, great podcast. Definitely, definitely worth listening to. A lot of great authors on there of a lot of books that I know I love, some of which are probably on these shelves behind me. Um, at any rate, how did you get into like being the professor of books? I like that title, professor of books, especially because I wasn't the best student. <laughs> so when I was growing up, I, I was more of the... Yeah, I'll steal it. I was more of the athlete, not really the academic. So when I was growing up, I played football. I was captain of the wrestling team. Like you couldn't, you couldn't pay me to read a book or do my homework back then. I was capable. I was just kind of lazy. And that attitude against reading and personal development, you know, style stuff that carried with me through most of my college experience as well. So I took an internship going into my senior year of college at a local software company. And my boss, Kyle, at the time, definitely recognized some unfulfilled potential, which I think is a kind way of saying it. I was a little cocky, 20-year-old, you know, a little bit arrogant, know-it-all type. And I was commuting 10 hours a week in the car, an hour each way, five days a week. And he turned me on to podcasting. So I started listening to shows where successful people are being interviewed. And very quickly, I realized that so many of them were giving at least some credit for their success to the books that they were reading. So I heard the same titles over and over and over and over again. And I just decided like, I don't want to live under my potential. I mean, if these are the books that made those people successful, I should follow the roadmap. And so I, I went to my local Barnes and Noble, grabbed a bunch of books and 
Uh, now I've been reading 50 to 100 books every year since then. So it's been about 10 years. And, um, you know, to make a longer story short, I started sharing the books that I was reading on social media, really with no intention other than connecting with like-minded people because my friends and family weren't really into the business book world. And before you know it, there was an audience. And then all of a sudden I had access to these authors and I had questions about their books. So I started a podcast and I started interviewing them, a lot of my favorite authors. And, uh, you know, so I'm just so grateful to learn from these people. A lot of times I try to use my podcast as like a one-on-one -on -one mentoring session in a way and, you right. know, ask follow-up questions from these books. No better way to get somebody to give you some free coaching and free advice by having a podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah, very true. A lot of times I'll, I'll joke with like our author clients and our guests on our podcast and I'll be like, you charge tens of thousands of dollars for your time and I'm getting it for free. In fact, <laughs> sometimes they're paying me. <laughs> right. There you go. That's too funny. No, I, so it's funny. We're sitting here talking and I'm, I'm pretty sure you're telling my story to some degree because I was pretty much the same way. I probably read before the age of 25, I probably read three books, five books, maybe. And they were all, I was told to read them all, right? In high school and college. Didn't really care all that much about the grades. My dad basically told me, D's get degrees, that kind of thing. Played sports, all that fun stuff. It's funny. I have a line in my book where I say, C's earn degrees, right, mom? Because she told me the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's too funny. That's too funny. But I remember the book. The, the first book that I picked up that started me on reading books, that started me on reading, I'm, I'm not at the, I, I did, you were talking about audiobooks before, whenever I first jumped onto audiobooks, which was maybe three or four years ago, I jumped on to Audible, and I didn't, I guess before that, I had never thought about even trying to listen to them, because I was just enamored with reading and i'm like oh okay well i'll try it and there was one year where i listened to like a hundred something books and i probably couldn't tell you going back to we're visual beings i probably couldn't tell you the majority let's just say i've re i've read i've reread a lot of his books since then but anyway the first book that i picked up that got me on the journey of, of reading of actually enjoying reading and not feeling like i and i probably again i didn't pick up any books nonfiction or fiction or otherwise, not many during high school, not many during college. I picked Same. up The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And I don't remember why I picked it up. I think it was probably actually, I don't remember why I picked it up. I, some, I read it in an article or something like that. And I picked it up and I read it and I was like, oh, that was good. And I read it. And when I started building my business at the time, which I just closed last year, ironically enough, which is a long story, um, that I kind of wrapped my business around building the, uh, building the model to be replicated, building the model to be able to be, you know, take them and put them all over the place. I don't know why I can't think of the franchise model. Anyway, uh, that was the first book that I read. And it was as soon as I read that book, I'm like, man, I can read a book and actually get something out of it and actually apply it and actually enjoy it all at the same time. 
And that was when I just started like diving into books. And probably the first couple of books that you read, I think are the first couple of books that almost all people who get into self-development and personal development start to read in the beginning. Uh, things like How to Win Friends and Influence People, the one by, um, why the heck can't I remember his name? I can throw all the names at you. Tell, yeah, <laughs> tell me because I can't. The one I think the most remember. the most common first book, you know, because I've met so many people now who are into this stuff. I think the most common titles are Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, like you said, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Bam. Hill. That's the one yeah. I was trying to think of. You know, people talk about Good to Great by Jim Collins, The Seven cool. Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. You know, there's so many good ones. By the way, I'll tell you a funny story. So I interviewed Michael Gerber, who wrote The E-Myth Revisited on my podcast. And um, by the way, I love The E-Myth Revisited. I've read that book multiple times and used a lot of the, the lessons about systems and stuff like that in my business. But it was such a goofy podcast. He came on and every time I would ask him a question, he would answer a different question. And then he would just sell something for like five minutes straight, like talking about a course or whatever that he's got coming out. You're like, oh, I'd be cool. like, tell me why you decided to write the E-Myth Revisit. And he'd be like, we have this great course coming out where everybody can sign up for one night. It was just, I had to cut it, cut. Like we probably recorded for an hour and I probably put out like a 40 minute show because I had to cut all of his sales stuff. But nonetheless, such an amazing book. Yes, the book the book is definitely amazing. But I'm curious, and this is kind of my own curiosity, and then hopefully to help others. What are the books that you that people don't suggest that they should read? Give me two or three that people don't you don't hear talked about, but that you're like, man, this one had an impact, that one had an impact. Well, I mentioned one that I'd like to reiterate, which is my go-to answer for this, for, you know, when I think about this, which is Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. Outside of reading and implementing personal development books, I will go out on a limb and say that I've learned the second most from international travel. From, you know, I've, I've grown the most and expanded my comfort zone the most from international travel. And I can't recommend getting out of your comfort zone and going to a crazy environment enough. Um, you know, I think a lot of like the historical European type travel, like to Rome and Greece and stuff like, like, I think that's fun. But I think like to get out of your comfort zone, go to somewhere in Central or South America get off the beaten track a little bit and you'll grow so much. And that book Vagabonding by Rolf Potts will really encourage you to do it. There's a great line in there that's something like you can be a Columbus to whole new continents within you or something like that. And what he's talking about is like international travel will force you to, to go internally and like reflect and experience thing, you know, experience things in a way that is hard to articulate. There's another great book, which is a good follow-up to that if you need a kick in the butt, called Die With Zero by Bill Perkins. It's one of my favorite books. And there's a cool concept in Die With Zero called memory dividends. So if you go experience something awe-inspiring, well, that experience will pay you through the form of memory dividends for the rest of your life. Every time you recall the story, 
you can literally feel that same feeling of awe or joy or whatever excitement, just reliving it, going back through the photos and videos, telling other people those stories. And travel is just such an amazing thing. So that's why I recommend those two books. Uh, let's see. Books that I really recommend that a lot of other people don't. And the list Maybe is one more. Yeah, I'll give one more. The list is super long. Have you read the Almanac, the Almanac of Naval Ravikant? No. That's a really good book. Okay. It's broken down into, into lessons on wealth and lessons on happiness. Mm -hmm. And it's it's so good. Uh, I don't know if I've ever read a book. So it's this guy. It's this guy who's right named uh, Eric Jorgensen. And he basically consolidates a bunch of this other guy, Naval Ravikant's tweets and thoughts from interviews because Naval hasn't written his own book yet. And it's like masterful lessons on wealth building and on happiness. And, you know, that entire book, like it forced me to go from a top 10 to a top 11 because it was just so good. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, Naval, that he... Speaking of podcasts and Tim Ferriss, for that matter, one of the first podcasts I ever listened to was Tim Ferriss and Naval Ravikant. Their first podcast, probably, I don't know, when Tim first started his podcast, which is, I don't know, eight years Ten old years. now? Ten yeah, years old? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. So anyway, when he interviewed Naval, that was a very impactful. There's still some things that he says that like are in the back of my head. And just last year, at some point, I went back and re-listened to it because it's just a very powerful, very powerful um, podcast. His his ideas are just like, and the way he articulates them, just very like clean and clear and crisp, like very good. So I'll definitely have to check to check that one out. So the Almanac of Naval Ravikant, is that what you said? Yeah, very, very, very good. I'll definitely check that one out. It's it's funny because I read so much and I have so many amazing recommendations. Um, but like when a question like that is asked of me and that pops into my head, like who knows why it popped into my head, but it is one of my favorite books. And I would recommend it to every single person listening to this show, because regardless of where you are in life, we can all be wealthier and we can all be happier, kind of. So uh, yeah, it's a really good one. Very good. Uh, last question, and then we'll uh, we'll trim it down. Last question: What is the number one lesson that you've learned from reading books? Not from books, not the number one lesson from books, but the number one lesson you've learned from reading books. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, let me think about it for a second. Because I'm sure you get the, hey, what's your what's the lessons that you get from books? What's the top three lessons that you get from books all the time? And there's plenty of wisdom out there, of course. And you can probably distill it down to a handful of, you know, basic ideas. But there's a difference. The different way to think about it is like, what do I get out of actually reading? Like, what's the thing that that I that I build from actually reading? Yeah, here's here's my answer. Does many of us many of us make an error which is thinking that our problems are unique to us, that we are somehow special, 
and that our circumstances are special. But the reality is that about 100 billion people have lived before us. Millions of them have figured out how to live really great lives. And they've documented their entire life experience in a book. So they've condensed decades of their most valuable life experiences into days of consumption. You can buy that shortcut for $20 and consume it in a couple hours of time. So here's the biggest thing that I've learned. I am not unique. I am not special. I can solve every single problem that I will ever come across by reading about how somebody else solved it. The answers are out there. You just need to read about them and apply the answers. So whether it's personally or professionally, it doesn't matter. The answer exists in the form of a book somewhere. I am not special. I am not unique. I mean, I am, but like, I'm also not in the lens of books solve problems, books build skills. Other people have figured it out and it's available. And so I hate when I hear like this victim mentality stuff. Oh, woe is me. Nobody else has ever experienced what I'm going through. Like, Yes, they have. In yeah. fact, a bunch of people have, and they've also experienced a lot worse, and they figured it out. And here's the answer. They documented it for you. And so I think, yeah, that that idea of just being curious and solutions-oriented and an action taker, um, that's that's the biggest thing I've learned. And that's uh, it's comforting for me because I don't feel like I'm alone. I feel like I don't have to figure it out on my own. You know, like experience is a great teacher and I think we should all learn from failure, but I think other people's experiences are even a better teacher and you can read about them from the comfort of your own home and just apply the solution that it might've taken them 30 years to figure out. Now you can do it in a couple of hours. So I'll get off my soapbox, but that's, that's the biggest lesson for me. Well, I think that's a good lesson and we kind of end where we began because we began talking about being curious and getting out of your comfort zone and problem solving. And we're ending about being curious and problem solving. So I can totally agree with that. That's great stuff. Nick, where do people find you? Well, if anybody has listened to that and you're like, I think I should be reading. One of my favorite things to do for people is to provide custom book recommendations. So if you want to head over to Instagram and check out our main page, book thinkers, send me a DM. Tell me about a problem you're facing. Tell me about a skill that you want to develop or an area of life that you're curious to learn more about. And I'll provide a custom book recommendation to you. And then we've got links in our bio over there for everything else. Good stuff, brother. I definitely appreciate it. I know I'll be diving into the podcast a little more. Thanks so much, Thank man. You. I appreciate your time today. Appreciate you. Thanks, Nick.